Welcome to episode five of the Boldly Go podcast. I have got a treat for you today, and you might need to slam an energy drink to keep up with this guest. Peter Tuckman is known as the Einstein of Wall Street, and he's also known as the most photographed man on Wall Street. Google him, and I promise you'll recognize him immediately. His pictures have been everywhere all over the world for years. Peter's been trading on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange for 35 years and has zero intentions of stopping now. He's one of the most energetic people I've ever met, and he thrives on the volatility of the stock market. He absolutely will not give you any advice on which stocks to buy, but he is very passionate about helping new traders get educated about how to wisely invest in the stock market. Peter is also a long haul COVID sufferer, and he talks about his experience with COVID and the shutdown of the markets and how his family history and his faith in God helps him to endure it. Peter is an incredible person, and I am so glad to bring this conversation with him to you. Here we go. Peter Tuckman, thank you so much for coming on the Boldly Go podcast. It is amazing that I get to speak with you and see your face. It's been a really long time. Yes, it is. It's a pleasure. Great to see you again, Missy. Yes. So we first met when my company did its IPO on the New York Stock Exchange, uh, almost, well, three and a half, almost four years ago now. And you stood next to me on the trading floor as our stock was getting ready to go public and literally explained to me minute by minute what was happening. And we've been friends ever since. (laughs) Correct. But never know what will bond people together. But that's one of the great experiences for you in your life and for me to be able to open that door to you and make it make sense and not be a fearful experience is great. No, it was amazing. And I, you know, after we went public, a girlfriend of mine said, wow, you can now cross that off your bucket list, you know, that you got to go public on the New York Stock Exchange and ring that bell and everything. And I said, wow, that was 100% not on my bucket list ever, like never in a million years. I think I was going to get to do that. But what was really cool is how the stock, New York Stock Exchange does such a great job of making companies feel welcome. And you were certainly a part of that for us that day. You know what? What's so exciting about the process, which some people know about and not, is that the, the idea of a company like yours to actually go public means you're, you're really putting yourself out there. You're sort of, you know what your value is. You've spent time building it in the private mode, and now you're offering it up to the public. And what we do on the floor of the stock exchange, we're the ones, so where, how a stock opens, where it opens, and the process that goes on, it's kind of like building a building, mm-hmm. right? That, Price that pro, which what I was trying to explain to you that morning is it's a price discovery process. We've seen stocks go public on NASDAQ, which is electronic. There's less human interaction and the price discovery is done electronically. And sometimes we've seen, as with Facebook and other things, and nothing against any of those companies or NASDAQ, but we value ourselves in a super, super special way that that building of a building process, the way a stock opens, the price it is, where all the bodies are lying, and the foundation that we're building really will help how the company will go forward, how the stock will trade, its valuation, how people perceive it. So the most exciting day. And I was happy. That's awesome. Yeah. It's definitely one of the standout days of my life. And so (laughs) how did you end up there? Like, how did you get into this position where you're now, you know, the considered the most photographed man on wall street They call you the Einstein of Wall Street, which is so cool. But was there like a day when you all of a sudden had enough photographs that you were that? Or like, how did that come about? And how did you get where you are? Well, the story how I got where I am is sort of a long story. And I don't think there are enough podcast times. (laughs) But um, this was not always my journey, right? So, I mean, I I have an absolutely wonderful family and a family history. And my parents are immigrants. They came here in 1949 and uh, Holocaust survivors, Mm -hmm. right? 
four years in, in prison wow. uh, during, during World War II. All of their family was, was decimated and killed mm. uh, during the war by the Nazis. And so they came here and they, they met each other after the war in a uh, deportation displaced persons camp. Wow. They, fell, they fell in love. They had come from a really amazing older and Eastern European tradition, which was all about family and, and unconditional love and education and all that. Then their world was turned upside down. And then they were able to find each other, you know, in the midst of all this turmoil and rubble and fall in love. Amazing. And it always tears me up. And then they came here and then they were, you know, their dream was obviously the American dream. And that wasn't everybody's journey who survived what they survived, but they were very determined in that. My father always wanted to become a doctor, so much so that even after the war, he was the first doctor, first Jewish person allowed in a German medical school after the war. Amazing. He, actually sat, he sat in the room with people who had imprisoned him prior, learning to become a doctor because that was his determination. Oh my gosh. He met my mother. She was also going to be that. She ended up not doing that. She basically put that on the side burner to marry him and go on to become a mom. And um, she went back to work for him a few years later and ran his business. So the family business did go on. But they came to the States and they uh, and they realized their American dream. They started a family right in, in New York City in the early 50s. Not an easy game. And obviously it was not a an immediate success, but they did have a profession. Both of them did. And they started a family and my brother and I were born. And so that's my background. That's sort of the, the resilience of the human spirit. Mm. So, you know, and I, I was reading about your podcast and whatnot, and, you know, and it's so important. We talk, you talk about God and you talk about resiliency and spirituality and fear and obstacles, you know, that we run into in our lives. And I think that it's important for us to note that we are really a function of our past in so many ways, as long as we reach into that past for positive things. I'm a firm believer in never blaming, right? We always joke about it in, in different spiritual practices. If you take the me out of blame, it's just blah, 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 right? <laughs> no, I look to my past for strength, right? I don't, you know, my parents went through what they went through. And they shared with me some of it. A lot of it was really hard to accept as a child, sure. right? And that, that sort of molded my crazy journey all the way through. But what I did have taken from them in this part of my life, in my new sort of growth that, that, that I'm in at this time, even though I'm a little aged out of that, but there's, you know, I'm a student of life, you know, and I'm a student of inspiration and motivation and whatnot. So every day is a great journey, right? Every day I wake up on this side of the dirt I'm really grateful, <laughs> you know, and if I can share that inspiration with someone else, then I, I then, then it's, then it's a beautiful thing. So anyway, so I, um, all that being said, the journey to the stock exchange per se was one, obviously I came from a, went on to become a privileged background. My father became a successful, well-known doctor, one of the great diagnosticians in the medical practice, lived to be 97 practiced medicine until he was 96. My parents were married for 65 years. Wow. Right? Even after what they had gone through, they went on to live into their late 90s and be, they were humanists. My father was, you know, in medicine, he was a firm believer in the relationship that between one human being to another. He was never able to really get 
medicine when it sort of went into the computer world and just sitting in front and looking at tests. He felt he could get a lot more by walking into a, a patient's room, holding their hand and talking to them mm. to understand what was going on. And I've sort of adopted that in my relationship with other people. You know, that's how we grow. That's how we get to know each other. Right. I think social media, as amazing as it is, sort of interrupts a lot of that in human interaction. Yes, I agree. And, oh, you, your podcast talks about relationships and whatnot. So I think my background has really given me a great edge as far as relationship goes. So along the way, I studied agriculture. I studied economics. I um, I opened up a record store in New York City in my early 20s. I started trading commodities. I traveled around the world doing music business and music promotion. Then I came back to New York and, you know, it was sort of, it was the early eighties, a little bit of a wild time in New York city, studio 54 and whatnot. I don't have to go into great detail, <laughs> but I would say the journey got a little bit, you know, off kilter in, in my spiritual journey and my life journey ran into just, you know, what happens as a, as a young person in, in the eighties. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up leaving New York in 83, and I went to West Africa and uh, I had a friend who was running a small oil company there and it was time to get out of New York. I closed my record store. You know, it was sort of it was a weird spiritual time. And, and um, I had finished college and I wasn't sure what direction I wanted to go. So I said, I will just sort of do a geographic and get out of town. And so I went to West Africa and I worked in this company for a couple of years. And it was pivotal in many different respects. Africa per se, is one of the most amazing continents. And I do suggest anybody who gets the opportunity to go, it is sort of the cradle of civilization in so many ways. It's where families really live and culture and whatnot. And mm -hmm. that's my journey. So that was an amazing time. But I came back from that after two years and uh, it was time to really like grow up, you know, yeah. and, and, uh, and become whatever I was supposed to become. And my father had a patient who was a ran a company on the stock exchange and economics and business had been one of my journeys along the way. And uh, so we thought, okay, I was 27 years old, I think, or 26. And so I got a summer job as a teletypist, sort of the lowest rung of the, of the, the caste system on the floor of the <laughs> stock. And because you don't, you look, there's no training for that job. As you yeah. saw it, you know, we've got multi different levels of people down there with different jobs. And it's sort of a, an amazing team effort down there, but it's sort of everybody has their own job and it's a team. So, but there's no training for it. So you really need to come down there, start at the bottom and really sort of get thrown into the fire to learn how to deal with the stress, the anxiety, the adrenaline, the motivation and, and whatnot. It's, it is about money. It is about humans. The human element is a big part of that, but it's about thinking on your feet and interacting in relationships and whatnot as business, as you know, is it's a relationship. Absolutely. Business. Right. That's the key to it as is life. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, almost instantly, even though I was at the bottom, wherever I had come from, I had a good education in all different respects, but it didn't matter down there. Right. Everybody comes in at the bottom and it's either it's either a place where you will thrive and grow or it's a place that's not for you. If you're mm -hmm. a person who needs, you know, an hour and a half and a cup of coffee and read the paper and wind up, it's not it. It's the kind of place where you get up, your adrenaline starts, it, it gets your juices flowing. It's a motivator for you, the stress, the anxiety, and the chaos, right? Yeah, there's so, nothing like that energy on this floor of the stock exchange. I mean, there's just right. nothing like it that I've, that I've seen anywhere else in my journeys. It's amazing. Correct. 
So if that's something that works for you and it's only there are only a few 25, 30,000 people over history who it's worked for, those are the people who are down there. And I knew instantly when I got there that this was for me. I love the energy, I love the human interaction, and I love the adrenaline and the chaos. I thrived on it. It did not fill me with fear. It actually calmed me down. So to mm. fast forward, I've been there for 35 years. You know, my wow. career down there has had many alliterations, different companies I've worked for, different parts of the business, whether it's convertible arbitrage or retail in uh, trading or whatnot, but I've always been a trader. And the business itself has evolved right? We now have a new influx of, of, of technology over the last number of years. And I don't, I don't adopt well into technology, but because I'm a people person, but I've had to adapt. But um, you asked when the Einstein of Wall Street thing happened. So yeah. look, for many, many decades, there were thousands of people down there. Mm -hmm. And everybody sort of identified themselves with their personality as a family down there. And, you know, it's sort of, it was a community, right? Mm -hmm. We had 1500 brokers. There were in early 1900s, there were, when they opened the stock exchange in 1903, they issued like we do in New York city, taxi medallions. They issued 1,564 seats. They said, this is the amount of people we will be able to support here as a growing business. And these will be our traders, right? And so over the years, when I got there in 85, all those seats, those we call them seats. It's basically the right to trade stock were being utilized. And then there was probably another five or 6,000 people of support staff, whether they were clerks or supervisors or governors or whatever. And, um, but each person had a, an identity, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I was sort of the loud, obnoxious, fun loving, you know, Einstein looking guy. I didn't always look like this, but I've always. <laughs> I've always had long hair, but my personality was was as bubbly and boisterous as it is. You either love me or you don't. <laughs> there are those who don't, amazingly enough. But either you love Peter Tuckman or you're wrong. <laughs> exactly. Or you're wrong. Exactly. So anyway, there was always one or two guys who the press was never really allowed down there. You know, the world of Wall Street, I'm, I'm, one of my new taglines lately is this is not your grandfather's stock market, mm. right? The way things are going now, whether it's the meme stocks and Reddit, whether it's, you know, the wild moves in the market over the last number of years, whether it's the, 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 the Robin Hoods of the world and the apps, you know, there are so many more million people involved in the stock market. Back in those days, you know what? People didn't, you know, they maybe saw on the news that night, they saw that no, that two-minute little window where the newscaster would say, yes, and the Dow Jones was up three points today, and uh, that's it, right? And th people didn't have much relationship to the stock market if you weren't in finance. Right. But, but that's changed, and that's one of the things we're going to talk about. But at some point, I, whether it was a financial crisis, I think, the name, the Einstein of Wall Street was actually, so I started being called Einstein by Aaron Burnett who is a now, she used to work on the floor for CNBC, and now she works at CNN. But once I started losing my hair a little bit, and it went a little bit gray, and I started adopting this look, which is just me. I mean, I, I wake up in the morning like this. It's not, <laughs> like, not like I have a team that supports this look, right? <laughs> um, but um, this is me, right? I put my toe in the, in the 220 volt, and it's good, right? <laughs> That's so, great. 
there was a guy named Mark Haynes who used to work on the floor. He, he's passed, unfortunately, a number of years ago. He would sit outside the stock exchange every morning having a cigarette on a Johnny pump on a fire hydrant. And as I would walk into work every day and I, I love my hair, I love my look. I love my brand. I, it's, it makes me happy. Uh, he would look at me and he goes, he goes, if Tuckman's having a good hair day, it's going to be an up market. So that's nice. Kind of, and he worked with Aaron Burnett. So between the two of them, the name Einstein became sort of my 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 uh, my gnome of the day. But uh, it was actually a piece when in 2007, when the press started coming down to the floor and uh, there had been a guy on the floor called the market dude. He was the one person they photographed. And in 2007, he left the floor and he kind of said, you know what? I'm handing the baton to Peter. He's the character of the day. And so BuzzFeed, which was a big deal at the time, yes. right, uh, did an article on me. And uh, the press did a photograph that ended up in the front. I, I was throwing my hands up in the air and the market was down 660 points. And I was just standing there, you know, just just devastated by the day. Some of it was related to the stock market. I think something was related to something at home. But I sort of in, in, in anguish, I threw my hands in the air. A photographer took the picture. It got on the front page of the Daily News and um, BuzzFeed picked up the story and they my picture started going on front pages everywhere. And I think it, they still are recycling that photo for years, that, right? Right. That yeah, photo still pops they, up. They have fresh photos now, but yes. So that was the beginning of it. And it was a, it, it became, I've, I've turned it into a brand. Mm -hmm. You know, I've, my motivation is, is a pure one. I, I believe because I love what I do. You know, one of the things, not my line, but I, you know, someone on said, if you love something you do, you'll never work a day in your life. And so, as you know, as I shared that with you that morning, was I love what I do. I love sharing people, the history of the stock exchange, what a wonderful place it is, the human element, which mm -hmm. for me is really the crux of it, right? There are markets all over the world, but an auction market is something between one person and another. You know, you, it could be at Sotheby's, you know, selling a painting. It could be on the floor of the stock exchange trading stock. It could be, you know, out, out in the buttonwood tree, which was in the 16th, 17th century, where people were trading commodities. But it was really, it's one person to another, somebody with an interest to buy something, someone with an interest to sell something, and how they interact, right? So this became my motivation to be able to use this brand and this face to inspire people to find so there's so much to be found in finance and in the stock market, whether it's in branding or advertising, whether it's in consumerism, whether it's in your business, right? Whether it's in the cloud, whether it's in social media, whatever it is, you know, we are a consumer-based society. You know, young people will come down to the floor and I'll, before COVID, we'd give them tours and they'd say, you know, Einstein, what would you buy here? Mm. And I would say, I would say to them, guys, I, First of all, I'm not, I'm not, I don't recommend stocks and I'm not your financial advisor. But I said, you guys, you young people know more than I do, right? I said, why don't you go to school tomorrow and look at all your friends and see what phone they use, what sneakers they wear, what social media they're on, what computer they have, what clothes they wear, what, what games they play. And, uh, and you'll know what's popular. Mm. You'll be able to tell me Facebook is out of date. Everyone's on Snapchat. Nikes are no good. Everyone loves Under Armour. You know, everyone's on an Apple phone. La, 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 la. We are living in this consumer society, right? And people seem to think they don't know what goes on in the stock market. Yeah. God, 
Everything you buy and consume is actually a public company for the most part, whether you're eating an impossible hamburger or you're um, riding a Peloton bike or you're on a Zoom call or you're whatever it is That's these right. are like yours or you're on your computer in the nooks and crannies of all this stuff is a public company. Mm-hmm. So you might know what is popular, what people are using, right? And so that's what we do. We support that infrastructure. And how exciting is that? That's awesome. And so one of the things I think you're really good at is you humanize the stock market for people who don't understand it. Correct. You know, you actually turn it into something and someone that they can relate to. And then it sounds like you are, instead of telling them what to buy, you are encouraging them to get educated and to use their own mind and to think for themselves. And rather than listen to what other people tell them to buy, what's popular, you know, all the meme stocks and Dogecoin and all that. It sounds like you're, you're very into have, having people get educated. So I'm, I'm glad you're, you're, you're sending me this direction because one of the re- one of the more recent, look, I've had, where are we? We are in June, 2021. I don't know how we got here, right? You know, this has been a year and a half that, that in so many different ways has been so challenging for everybody. And um, mom, me per se, and we can talk about it afterward. So I got, got, had quite, I've, I've had one of the hardest years of my life. I got really sick with COVID and we can talk about it another time. But where we are now in June, 2021, relative to your question um, about educating people is that one of the most exciting things, and I started to say, if you love something, you, uh, if you find something you love to do, you'll never work a day in your life. The amount of eyes and the appetite and the enthusiasm about the stock market, no matter what brought you to me, right? Whether it's the meme stocks or following the mob mentality of investing or whatever's gone on or the fact that you've been sheltered in place for a year and you got a stimulus check or whether it's Robinhood and the free apps of trading, all the obstacles to entry that have been around for decades for the basic, our society to be involved in the stock market are all gone. So virtually anybody with an iPhone and 10 bucks can actually be in the stock market. Mm -hmm. For me, that is the most exciting thing in the world. But where does that leave us with all of the, we're at the crossroads of a perfect storm in many ways, because all these barriers to entry are gone. Everyone's been sheltered in place for a year and change. People are getting stimulus checks and have been out of work, right? And so their focus is on the internet. And the internet is exploding (laughs) and Robinhood and apps to make them able to trade. And so what we've seen happen is a massive, already in April of 2020, TD Ameritrade came out and said, we are seeing 40 million new retail investors in the market. Wow. Well, how is that possible? That's incredible. What an amazing opportunity. And they range in age from 11 to 95, right? Everybody can be in the market if they choose. But what's happened is we are also at a time in a market where we just saw a global pandemic, 600,000 people die in the United States, 30 plus million people uh, um, infected with this virus all over the world. What made this, you know, I've, I've done a number of pieces over the last year about people will ask me to talk about the market and whatnot, and they'll ask me what the topic would be, and I'd say trading the pandemic. Because, and then they'll say, well, how did this crisis differ from the crash of 87, the financial crisis, Mm. you know, whatever happened uh, during the Trump presidency with China and tariffs and markets going up and down and whatnot. 
and then this crisis. And I said, what's first of all differentiated is there's not a human being on earth who was not affected by this from the hills of Kathmandu to the bottom of Patagonia. It doesn't matter who or what you are. Your life has been affected financially, spiritually, emotionally, and and health-wise. So -hmm. that's different than anything we've seen in our lifetime, right? In generations, perhaps in history, okay? On top of that, it's a crisis that involves the welfare of you, your children, your spouse, your parents, and your grandparents. People would ask me, what was it like in the beginning of March 2020 when the market started careening off of a cliff from the record high of February 12th to March 23rd with the market going down limit and the circuit breakers going off and it going down 10,000 points? What was the most impactful thing that you felt those days, right? And what I said to everyone was, you know what? Markets go up, markets go down. We've seen crisis and crashes before. But what differentiated this was once we looked at each other in the eye, because the floor of the stock exchange is still a human outcry market. We are still looking broker to broker, different than people who are just on computers, was that I could see in people's eyes, okay, well, the market's crashing, so I probably should be worried about financial insecurity. But you know what? I saw a little deeper people worrying about their spouse and their children, their parents and their grandparents. Think back for a minute to March 2020, Mm. right? We didn't know Mm -hmm. what this was going to look like. We still don't in a lot of ways. And people went on to get sick. People went on to die. People's families were devastated. There are hundreds of thousands and millions of families who at the July 4th weekend are not going to have somebody sitting at the table, right? Mm. that That reality was super powerful on top of the fact that I had COVID for four months. I've have long COVID now, I almost died. And so my life will never be the same. So that's, you know, where does all this leave us right now, financially, spiritually, emotionally, and whatnot? The stock market is not a get rich quick scheme. It is not gambling unless you don't have education. So Mm. I'm sort of the long route to tell you that with all these new people in the market, in a market that's done nothing but go up since March 23rd, which was the bottom, we hope, of 2020, that and the uh, influx of the uh, internet as a uh, and the mob attack on stocks that we've seen with Reddit, Wall Street bets, the meme stocks, that those are not investment strategies. Those are not trading strategies. And so my fear is that we're hearing a lot about the multi million, the Dogecoin millionaires and the meme stock millionaires, you know, and those few people on on social media who are claiming that, you know, sitting there with bags of money, claiming yeah. they made the bucks and la la la. We're not seeing the photograph of the kid who committed suicide who was on Robin Hood because he lost all his money. Mm. Or the people who and who who you know convinced their parents to lend the money to trade the market mm. and watch GameStop go from 20 to 483 and back to 30, right? Mm. So I've taken this time with with a partner of mine, David Green, to curate a course to one of my biggest things is to to teach people about what's called technical analysis, right? That this is not a get rich quick scheme, that markets do go up and they go down, right? That preserving your capital is super important. And this is not, look, if I was deciding to become a pilot to fly a plane, I wouldn't just read the book and then go to the airport and, you know, ask the of keys and hop on the plane and fly. There's a lot of, when it's life and death or financial security, there's certain things one must do to 
play in the on the on that field, right? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So until you don't go to the Olympics right away, it takes training, it takes education. And the stock market is the same way. Yeah. I'm as I started to say, there's nothing that makes me more happy. There are millions of new people in the market. But I would hate somebody to come to this party after all this time, right? And have too many drinks and get sick and leave and never come back. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that, would, that would be terrible for me. And we know that's happened to virtually everybody. Sure. Right? So what, we, what I'm trying to do with, with the course that, I, that we can talk about later is to teach people. And you know what? These are sort of life tools too. The, the tools and the things that I talk about are not just all about the stock market. The things that I'm teaching are things from my 35 years experience, right? In life, in the market, around humans. In, in an environment that is nothing but stress, right? The stock, being a broker on the stock market is the second most stressful job in the world next to air traffic controller, Wow! right? Right, so because you're dealing with other people's money, you're in the heat of battle, right? And money's a funny thing, we know that, right? Mm. And, um, and so it's really important for people, I want people to grow and prosper, one of the other lines that I use is I'd love people to invest in stocks and not stuff, right? We're all about consuming, right? Yeah. You got the iPhone 10, there's nothing wrong with it. The iPhone 11 comes out and you gotta have it. Well, I'm a firm believer that you should tell your kid, how about you keep your iPhone 10 and you buy one share of Apple and in a year you can buy three iPhone 11s, right? So investing in us as people, you know, motivating people to grow and to be educated, you know, the stock market, even though it's all about money and business and all that stuff is really sort of got so much more into it. And, you know, you and me are here together, you know, uh, having met in that environment to try and teach people to get educated, to be motivated, to wake up every morning with a, with a, you know, spiritually fit, or if they don't wake up that way, to spend their day trying to get that way. <laughs> help another person. Yeah. Help another human being. What's the name of the, the course? So the course is called Wall Street Global Trading Academy, mm-hmm. right? There's a website, www.wallstreetglobaltradingacademy.com. We have a Facebook group. We have um, a YouTube channel and whatnot. It's basically day trading 101. Mm-hmm. Technical analysis is sort of a curious thing. Markets go up, markets go down. You can make money on the upside and the downside. In the way the market's trading over the last year, there are stocks that are going up 100% and down 100%. Sometimes over a month, a quarter, a year, we're seeing it happen intraday. Wow. So technical analysis is charting using historic data and moving averages to put the probability in your favor that you'll know where to buy and sell stock. So it's basically setting up charts with a few sort of points in the charts and watching how stocks trade and not throwing darts at a wall, hoping, hope is not a strategy for trading or investing. Following the internet is not a strategy for trading or investing. And by the time you hear about it online, that train has already left the station. Oh, wow. Okay, so I beg people, there's nothing more exciting then hitting a button and buying stock or shorting stock and making money and ringing the cash register and then going home and having time. Time is our most valuable thing in life, right? Money happens to be a way to get us where we can spend more time with our family and friends. That's right. But 
what one of our premises of the course is never turn. There are a lot of people who buy a stock at 30, watch it go to 60, think it's going to 100 because every schnook on the Internet said it's going to the moon. Mm. And then morning it opens at 30. Right. They've turned a winning trade into a losing trade because they're listening to someone they don't know. Give them investment advice. So we're believers in trying to build your investment portfolio, teaching you how to trade and ring the cash register and never turning a winning trade into a losing trade. Right. We are here all about and it's a great, great way of living life, too, is hitting singles and doubles and not always trying to just hit a home run. Right. Right. You may hit a couple of home runs. You may go to the well once or twice. But if you don't know, have the education, you're eventually going to give it all back and more. Mm. Right. So I would not I don't want people to take two steps forward, one step back and then take one step forward and three steps back. Because when it comes to money, you may not be able to get back in the game sometimes. Right. Right. So that's one. That's what the course is about. And literally somebody with somebody who doesn't know a stock from a sock. Right. Can buy this course and learn language of the stock market, how to set up your charts. What differentiates us, my, me and my partner, David Green, is that we, motive, we, we mentor and coach people, right? That's there are awesome. lots of courses out there. But what we do is we do a live Zoom call every Thursday night, right? You know, I have a huge presence on social media. Yes. People have access to me 24-7 to motivate them, inspire them to get involved in the stock market, whether they become a day trader or not. I try and share my adrenaline and my spirit right? My love for what I do and the market for whatever way this, this brings you joy, right? And so anybody can do this. For somebody who's been trading and getting, getting beat up because they, their game isn't working anymore, that they need more tools. Mm-hmm. We offer For someone who's been doing it for a long time, using old standards, we're saying that the rules in 2020 and 2021 are different. This is not your grandpa's stock market, right? <laughs> so what we try to do is in a very simple, inexpensive way is really inspire people to lear- learn this new box of tools, right? And yeah. take it, use it for whatever <clears throat> way they no, that's so awesome. You can, your passion for what you do, your love for what you do so comes through in the fact that you want to help other people have a passion for it too, but in a way that is healthy, and so I, I think that's just completely awesome. But let's go back for just a second and talk. Can you talk a little bit about your your experience with COVID over the sure. past year? Because I know it's been really, really hard on you, you know, as it has on millions. But what happened? So, you know, it's a, it's a powerful story. It's important for people to understand. So I got COVID on March 17th, 2020. I was one of the poor schnooks <laughs> who got it, who the first poor schnook who got COVID. If we if people think back for a moment, and I know everyone's world has, has been turned upside down since since about that date. On March 15th, it was declared a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Leading up to that point, you know, as we are with anything that seems that's so bigger than us, a power greater than us, we were in denial about it. We didn't know what it was about. You know, we heard about things far away, you know, that were happening and whatnot. And um I was exposed to it and I got sick on the 17th of March. I, uh, so I work on the floor of the stock exchange, a, a wonderful job, a wonderful place. But we already by March 15th, when it be, was declared a pandemic, already had testing sites. Now, if everyone thinks back to that time, you couldn't get a COVID test 
right? Nobody knew really what it was about. No one knew what the symptoms or what the disease yes. was, mm -hmm. except that we saw it happen start in China. We saw people in Italy start to die, the Middle East. It went to Europe and then it popped across the ocean. And so around that beginning of March, and then we became a pandemic announced on March 15th, and then people started to get sick. So I, I started to feel sick on the 17th. And so I went into work to get a test. We had a testing site on the floor of the stock exchange already mm. then. Wow. Already an amazing uh, thing that the exchange did. They were aware early on, you know, their advisors are people like Scott Gottlieb, who is one of the ex-heads of the FDA, who's been our advisor at the NYSE for the last year and a half and has really helped us protect the investment in the floor community so that there was never a big outbreak on the floor. But I showed symptoms. I became symptomatic on the 17th. I went into work in the morning to get a COVID test because they weren't available. And I knew something was up because it just didn't feel like anything I had ever experienced before. And uh, flu symptoms, but at an exaggerated rate with severe headaches and uh, occipital pain. Occipital bones are the ones at the base of the skull. And um, felt like I had been in a boxing match with Mike Tyson and spiked, spiked body temperatures and whatnot. So I went in and got a test and of course they <clears throat> sent me home. And six days later, even back then, it took six, seven days to get the test back, even though we had our own site. The testing facilities were still very archaic relative to what they are today. On uh, March, I believe it was around March 24th, I got a positive test result. By then, I was five days into it. I was incredibly sick. I had gone home that first day when I was symptomatic. My wife and daughter were, came up to where I am now, up in Massachusetts. My wife had had cancer the year before, and my, wife, my daughter uh, suffers from um, asthma. So we knew the minute I got sick that they did not to be, need to be around. So I separated them. And my son, uh, who you've met, who works with me on the floor of the exchange, isolated from me too. I, I locked myself in place at home. I was given a, a, a two doctors by the stock exchange to monitor me. As I had said, my father was a pretty well-known doctor. So I, I realized that something was up, especially when I got the positive test. I knew that I was in for the fight of my life. And I also knew by March 23rd, people were dying in New York, mm -hmm. right? There was that period of time from March until July, yeah. where 95% of people who went into the hospital were not coming home yeah. in New York City. It became mm -hmm. the epicenter, and that's where I lived. So I knew I did not want that to be my, my end game. Yes. So I called in all, all of the powers that be that I knew in my world, having grown up the son of a doctor, and I put together a team who were my advocates to try and help me. And they, they literally helped me survive because there were days where my wife would call them up and they weren't sure that I would survive. So I had an infectious disease doctor. I had a cancer specialist. I had my internist and I had these two doctors from, actually they were from China, uh, who the stock exchange gave me. And they were personally surrounding me, but in my sphere on a daily basis uh, as I got sicker and sicker and sicker. I had COVID, I had COVID for three and active COVID for three and a half months. I had over 103 temperature for two and a half weeks. I developed meningitis commingling with, with COVID, which ended up becoming more popular, not popular, not the right word, but <laughs> it, 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 it more happened. common. 
more common, thank you, as the disease went along. But where that left me was this. I developed severe neuropathy, uh, numbness in hands and feet, insane headaches and pain in my neck, super high spiking temperatures, being beef feeling that I was beaten up all over my body, actually black and blue, waking up with black and blue with no explanation for it. Oh my gosh. As I said, super high temperatures. And one of the most disconcerting was a complete loss of memory. I mean, I literally could not remember you know, from one day to the next, one hour to the next, my mm. mind, and you've heard it now, yes, the, the COVID brain fog, right? I also developed, which unfortunately seems to be coming back in the last couple of weeks, obviously lung, lung problems and inflammation of, the, of your uh, pulmonary tract were one of the most deadly parts of COVID. And so one of the determiners, whether people should go into the hospital or not, is blood oxygen levels. And while my blood oxygen levels d- did dip below acceptable levels, and I would call these doctors at three, four in the morning, begging them to, because I couldn't breathe, and I was talking hoarse like this, and they would say, Peter, we will talk you through this, but if you go to the hospital, you will not come home. Oh, and my so God. There were days and nights and weeks where basically I was up against that, that, that goal. I would be on all fours on the bed using steam, trying to get oxygen into my blood. I ended up developing scarring in the lower part of my left lung, which I unfortunately I think is starting to irritate me again because I've become started to get hoarse over the last couple of weeks. So all that being said, the journey was ruthless and devastating. And, you know, I do have a big social media presence and I went on this, there was a website started, which people should know about. It's called Survivor Corp. It was started by a woman named Diana Behrens on Facebook. Survivor Corp with a P at Survivor the Survivor Corp, C-O-R-P. Okay. Got it. And it's a Facebook group. Mm-hmm. And Diana Behrens got COVID around the same time as I did. And so she started this as a way to deal with this, right? Everybody yeah. who went through this journey, whether <clears> they got sick or they knew a family member or they've just been a human being on earth over the last year, have, have had to deal with this in some way, spiritually, emotionally. Yeah right? We've all gone through it. We all know somebody who died. We all know somebody whose family was, was tossed around like a, you know, like a seagull in a hurricane. We've all gone through financial insecurity, physical and health problems. Everybody's gone through it, right? Whether it's you're a young person, you've been isolated at home for the last year, whether you lost your job, right? It's, we, we can't even imagine what other people have experienced, right? Yes. Through this through this year. So she went on, uh, started a Facebook group, and it's gone on to become one of the most, there are 174,000 people on the page, Wow. people who have input their journey. And she is now working with Google, Microsoft, and governments around the world, because it's become the largest database of the COVID story. Right. Way worse than mine. Way worse. You can go on there and hear people tell their story and share their truth, right? In the midst of all this pain that their mother and father died last week, that their husband's in the hospital on a, on a respirator, they're home alone with their two kids, right? Their legs are swollen. I mean, you know, things that you can't even imagine. So I, I say that all to say that, so 
I surrounded myself. I didn't really know what to expect going forward. And my wife reached out to this lady, Diana Barons, to try and get some input and whatnot on what are we looking at? You know, April, May, June, we, I was still sick and we didn't know what the future would bring. Oh, I know where, why I said this. I decided, and I have a big presence on social media. I decided to. You kind of started chronicling it. Like you started doing videos, right? Correct. Exactly. And I realized that I'm very, even though my journey is brutal, I'm very privileged to have access to humans and being isolated the way I was and in in quarantine that, you know, I I turned the TV. I'm a big TV person. I have the TV on just for 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 regular noise, dark noise. I don't really watch it. And I turned it off because I knew nothing positive was coming out of it. And then I was lying in bed at home alone. Right. occasionally there would be a delivery guy bringing me juice or something, but you know, it was quite, quite something to, you know, in New York city, every night at 7 PM, we heard the, everyone ringing them, banging their pots for the, for the frontline workers. And, and I was dying. I was basically dying. And, you know, I would be in touch with my wife. My son would send food over, but I realized that the only way, the only way to, to really get through this was to regain some kind of human interaction Mm -hmm. through some, Media. And so I'd started to chron- chronicle it. And what I realized that was also important was back then, everybody seemed to think, well, it's no big deal. Those who are in denial about the, the problem that if you're young, you get better. And if you're old, you die. And that's acceptable. That's OK. Mm. And I was trying to tell people because I don't consider myself old that I'm not old. I'm very healthy. Right. I got sick and I'm having a hellish time here and I don't know if I'll survive. And so people need to understand that reality and they need to reach out to people and say, are you okay? Mm -hmm. Right. It's that what's going on is really a spiritual struggle, right. Besides a health, a health crisis. Right. So I started to chronicle it and I got a lot of really positive response. It was wonderful to hear people that they were praying for me or, you know, sending me food, you know, you, (laughs) right. I did. Right. Sending me food. And, uh, Everyone, Missy, sent me care packages. <laughs> so anyway, it's so, it just, and thank you for that, my love. Of course. Uh, anyway, and then what it kind of, what, what it spurred in me was that one day I woke up and, you know, for me, I, I do have a spiritual journey and it's really important. You know, the, the perspective is really everything, you know, cup half empty, cup half full, you know, being really in fear and being grateful, Right we can have two different emotions at the same time. And so I found myself, you know, people would say, how you doing? And I'm going, I'm sick, I'm dying. Uh, and I realized that that wasn't really serving me mm-hmm. any longer. And after a I said, because the more I tell myself the narrative, I'm sick and dying, I became sick and dying, right? And it's like a matter of, so what, what story are you going to tell yourself, right? And so one day I woke up, having gotten all this input from people, And I said, you know what, I'm going to change my story from being the sick, dying COVID story to a recovery story, right? Like, okay, maybe if I can do that, I can get on the, you know, you're climbing a mountain and you just want to get on the other side of it. That's right. right? So I created a, I, I changed my chronicling from the, this is day 68 of COVID to this is day one of recovery. Mm. And I started chronicling my, my climb back you know, back, back up the mountain, right? Because I couldn't go any lower, right? right. I, I had hit a bottom spiritually, physically, health-wise and whatnot. <clears throat> and so, um, well, the journey has not been an easy one. I ended up 
I had probably a three week period where I felt a little better, but I was still suffering from insane headaches. They didn't know why and severe brain, brain fog. So I went back into the hospital and I went into the hospital for tests and it, they determined that my cervical spine had collapsed mm. from COVID. COVID is a, a, an ability to dehydrate whatever organ it attacks. And that in conjunction with the meningitis, it had destroyed the discs in my neck and my cervical spine, if anyone knows, vertebrae just collapsed and there was no fluid. And Unbelievable. Our, our spinal fluid is what is our lifeblood. So I ended up having to go in for a cervical four level cervical fusion and they have to rebuild my neck. My neck is full of hardware. And so I was in a neck brace for eight months. Everybody who's seen me yep. has seen that journey. And then we're here in June, 2021. Unfortunately, I'm suffering from a lot of long COVID issues, which are, fortunately my brain is hundred percent, but my level of inflammation in the body, which is a big COVID thing, Long COVID people suffer from inflammation throughout their body, whether it's in lung or joints, limbs and whatnot. Mm. And I'm, I'm suffering from a lot of uh, connective tissue issues. So, you know, the bottom line is I say all this to say, and I don't want people to feel sorry for me or anything like that, is that the resilience, we started this podcast with this, the resilience of the human spirit is incredible. The fact that I get up every morning whether I'm in this kind of brace or my arm brace, or whether I'm just struggling with this, like that my life will probably never be the same, you know, and then somebody who worked out five days a week and skis and plays tennis, you know, and goes to work and works 16 hour days is struggling with my strength, you know, and my ability to long, uh, to walk long distances. I get short breath and whatnot that, that, you know, I could let it overpower me and be the, the, you know, the, the boogeyman that keeps me under the covers cowering every day. Or I can just say, you know what, whatever I tap into, whether it's that spirit that got my parents through what they went through, or whether it's just me, you know, or God, right? You know, and I thank God for God, because, you know, I can't do this alone, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's you, or whether it's my relationship to other people in my life, or whether it's to the thousands of people I communicate with in social media, I've had to dig deep, you know, in whatever bottom that I've gone through over this year and find the energy and the spirit to keep going, right? Mm-hmm. Year and a half. Who would have thought that would be a year and a half later and I'm still in it, right? right? I'm going in for a procedure on Thursday. I just had tests done last week because I can't swallow. I'm having problems with my lung. I have to have another surgery in August. So it's like, when is this journey going to end? And I've realized that, you know what? I could put it in perspective. My parents were living in it, you know, surrounded by death and gas chambers for four years, Mm. right? You know, I had to live in a house with Netflix, not feeling so good for a year and a half. That's the perspective, you know? And I don't want to even bring that up so much, but what I, I have to go there to find that the, the strengths, but whatever people need to do, and I cannot even imagine what people are going through. People who may watch this, people in your world or my world, people in the whole world, right? Who have lost their jobs, lost family members, have been sick or not, or are going through. You know what I'm finding now, Missy, which I find fascinating, as our world is starting to reopen. You know, I, this morning we went to the farmers market, and. You know, people are starting now not to wear masks. And I'm seeing that 
from the way people are dressing or interacting with other people, you know, there's the, the, the uh, upset part of me are going like, these people have been locked away in a house for a year and a half. They've lost their ability to say, excuse me, or relate to another human <laughs> being. And I'm going, oh, yeah, they have been locked away in a house for a year and a half. Yes. Mm -hmm. There are people who have been alone for a year and a half. People who, you know, like, you know, people in their 20s. I have a 23-year-old daughter. She's been like working from home, you know, and not seeing her friends. You know, I can't imagine what that's like. You know, there are people who are less privileged than you and I, who have gone through really serious struggles. Think about what was going on in Texas. People never heard of, never before on food bank lines, right? right. So, you know, it's important for us to reach out to people, make sure they're okay. You know, there's been a huge rise in drug addiction and alcoholism. There's been a huge rise in suicide and mental illness. People are going through it, right? Yeah. So if I can take my, this amazing adrenaline uh, fueled spirit that I have, even though I've gone through all this and try and inspire other people to get up in the morning and fight the fight, right? Because, you know, we, we're, we're only here for, for a, sh a short period of time. Right. And so for me, it's really important that, you know, we leave here. It's not about, you know, who dies with the most toys. That's uh, right. I love toys, too. It's fine. But that's really, uh, you know, and there were probably times in my life where I thought that was important. But it, is, it doesn't mean it's BS. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> the bottom line is, if we can leave this life having having made someone else's life better. That's right. right. I, I know you live you live that you live that journey in any way, whether you can inspire someone about finding God or letting God out or inspiring people in any possible way with relationships and whatnot, or with your beautiful smile, right? <laughs> if we can leave this life for the short time we're here, you know, having inspired someone, motivated somebody in a positive way to be a better person or whatnot, cut through kindness or sharing whatever it is, then we've, then we've done God's work. That's, that's it. You know what I mean? That is amazing. I, it's such an inspiration. And the fact that you're still suffering through it and still, you know, channeling purpose into your pain, you know, in order to help make the world a better place and help to, help, you know, help foster relationships with people. Cause you're right. When we die, it's not going to be about the trades we made or the deals we closed. It's going to be about the relationships that we had and how did we, how did we leave the world better than we found it? And I think that, you know, what you're doing, because you, you've been going out and talking a lot about this journey and, and how you refuse to let your spirit be beaten by being a long haul COVID sufferer is, is incredible. And it is a testament to what your parents endured, because the fact that they endured it gave you strength. And I'm sure that they, didn't ha they had no idea at the time that what they went through would be Get, would be used by their son today to help inspire other people to not give up. It's yeah. awesome. I mean, that, that is a, that is a, a really amazing generational path of healing that you're on. It's cool. So I, I, and I love that you use the trading Academy to educate people to be better at trading in the market so that they don't get hurt. I mean, really what you're doing, you know, you're not the purpose that you have for, for educating people is to help their lives be better. So it's a really bold and noble thing that you're doing there. And when you decided to start the trading academy, you know, what was there a was there a catalyst that made you do it? And were you scared to do it? Because it's a kind of a bold move. 
you know, for someone who works on Wall Street to say, hey, I'm not going to give you any advice on trading, but I'm going to help you get ed- educated on how to trade. I think that's pretty you know, cool. You know, I, I, I appreciate the question. It makes, makes me think of why. What was the catalyst to it? And I am a workaholic. I have a lot of plates spinning in the air at the same time. And I, I love that. You know, it's sort of a Gary Vandercheck type of thing. It's, you know, we are told that kids who love to do a million different things have ADD, right? But at the end of the day, that's really just BS also. It's like, try a million things and, you'll, and then you'll find, you'll find what really works for you and is meaningful, right? Mm-hmm. So there were a couple of motivating forces. For me, working and, and interacting on a human level it, so look, the stock exchange is now running at 25% capacity. There were months this past year where I was alone at home. And the, you know, even though I was able to relate through social media and not, there's nothing like that hug or the one-on-one or the five-on-five that you get when you're actually in the room where all this, where the room where it happens. If mm-hmm. anyone's seen, seen the play Hamilton, you write oh, yes. that be in the room where it happened. And, you know, for me, that's one of the great reasons I've stayed and reinvented myself over and over at the stock exchange, because you felt that energy. The energy, it almost has nothing to do with the fact that it's where it's the, it's the, there's a symbolic power to that room. There's a historic power to that room. But the fact that it's based on human, the human element, which is one of my missions and messages, you know, there are most of the markets in the world, which going back to Roman times were, you know, uh, the farmer's market. I mean, it's the same thing. When people ask me, explain to me what the stock market is. I said, it's just like going to the 14th Street farmer's market. There's no difference. There's a guy who's got something you want and you're somebody who needs to buy it, right? So, but that the energy and that, that, that human element is so powerful, right? And so all that being said that I was, I started to go back to work as soon as I could. So mm-hmm. one of the catalysts was that I saw all these new people coming into the market. And look, my experience has taught me, it, it was wonderful for me to see so many new people in this market, right? That all the impediments to entry were gone. And that you saw all these young people getting super excited. And then I saw all these people were hearing the success stories, were not hearing the other stories. And I think I was really moved by that story about the Robin Hood, Robin Hood kid. If people don't know that story, someone who got on Robin yeah. Hood and trading, he ended up losing money and, I, and, and he had committed suicide. Mm. A devastating story. But I'm also, I also know in my relationship to traders and people through social media, that there are people out there who are getting blown up with what's going on in the market, with the meme stock and the Wall Street bets. I know from my experience that hope and following the internet are not strategies to trade. Right. And as long as all those people who have no education in the markets are not in the market, well, then there didn't seem that that needed to be my message and purpose at the time. But yeah. suddenly, all these young people to do it. So I thought, this is what better a relevant, wonderful time to do this because my partner, David Green, has never wanted to partner with anyone. He's a educator. He teaches stock market. I thought how great it would be to take my notoriety and my face and my brand and to take his incredible ability. Because you know, there are people who trade the market who may not be great teachers, right? Being a teacher in something is a, has a different, different quality to it. Mm-hmm. So I reached out to him. I said, let's take this opportunity now to do it. The other catalyst I really think 
was the fact that I needed something that it started in July and August and then it sort of died down and then started again in January was I needed something to distract me from my physical problems and right. I needed something to motivate me. Not that this is in any way just a distraction, of course. but I, I knew it was a challenge. And for me, you know, it's scary to do new things. Right. And, um, you know, I don't like to fail, but you know, there's all, there's that thing. It's not how many times you get knocked down. It's how many times you get back up. So some people would say to me, like, well, why do you need, why'd you do, do you need to do this, right? Do you need, I mean, you're really putting yourself out there, right, by doing this. And right. what happens if it doesn't succeed? And the bottom line is, I get texts and emails on a daily basis now from a guy who, who opened up a trading account with, with, you know, with a few hundred bucks. He had this, some guy named JJ Butler yesterday who doesn't have enough money to open up a real trading account, but he saw me and he was inspired to get into the market. And so he opened up a very with a hundred bucks. And he said, Peter, in 40 minutes following your David's strategy, I made 47 bucks in seven minutes. And to be honest with, and I've had a good life, you know, whatnot, but I lost my job uh, during COVID and I've been home and I was like thinking of going to work at Home Depot and I didn't know what to do. And then I found you and he said it was the most exciting thing, 47 bucks I ever made in my life because I learned a new skill. I don't know what I'll do with it, but That's it's so, so awesome. I hope JJ Butler is listening to this. I hope he hears this podcast because he'll be thrilled. I can't tell you how, I mean, your everything you've just said in the past hour is inspirational on so many levels. And I have a feeling that these words are really going to help a bunch of people who listen. And I think everything that you've said in the past hour is a fantastic basis for a book. I think you need to write a book and I can't be the only person who's ever said that. But I, I may be ready soon. Okay, good. Because I definitely think, you know, there's so much more you could have talked about, you know, that, that we just don't have the time to cover. I yeah. definitely think the book needs to come out. And yeah. as, as captain, of, <laughs> yes, as captain of the Peter Tuckman fan club, I will totally make sure everybody buys your book. Okay. Because there's just such a wealth of knowledge and inspiration. I mean, and just, and starting with your parents, I mean, everything that your parents did that they went through that you learned from and, and helped it, it's helping to heal your spirit. I mean, that's awesome. Those are stories that need to be passed on for sure. So uh, I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast today, Peter. And I'm going to have to tell everybody who listens to like drink an energy drink before you hit play, because you need to like ramp up your own adrenaline in order to keep up with the Einstein of Wall Street, because your energy is unmatched. Uh, even after everything that you've been through, your energy right here, right now is exactly the same as it was with me that day on Wall Street on our IPO. You're so I, wonderful. I, yeah. I think people need to know that one of the reasons you and I connected in such a way is our spiritual journey. And the fact is that if they, they know you, and I hope they know you more now, is that that's also your journey and your motivation, right? Sure. You've found amazing success and you're, you're a rock star, right? Thanks. But you're not a rock star for, for Missy Young and your family, but for women, right? And for everybody, right? To find whatever journey they need to be on to inspire people from the bottom to the top, right? And not just hanging out, you know, around, around the corporate round table, but anybody, anybody yes. to find, find the spiritual journey, you know, develop relationships, find something they love to do and just, you know, and, and be a better person. That's so. awesome. Yep. I just hope that I, I, I hope that you and I both hear when we, when we finally die and go to heaven, that we hear well done, good and faithful servant. <laughs> Exactly. So that, that's our goal. And, and uh, we're, we're moving together forward on that goal. So thank you. Thank you so much, Peter, for all your wonderful words of inspiration and encouragement today. 
My pleasure. Thank you so much. Awesome. What an incredible journey of resilience and energy and enthusiasm. Peter definitely shows us how we need other people when we are suffering, that we have to be in community when the hard times hit. It's so much more difficult to go through hard times alone. Such a great example of resilience, and I'm sure that was passed down to him from his parents and their experiences of suffering through and surviving the Holocaust. And I love that Peter is so passionate about helping people to get wise about how to spend their money in the stock market. There's not a lot of people out there who number one, recognize that need, and number two, actually would do something about it. Peter is definitely putting action to his ideas and getting out there and starting this trading academy with his friend so that they can help bring that kind of education to all of these new traders in the market so that they don't make poor choices with what might be their life savings. So my hat is off to you, Peter. Thank you so much for sharing your journey with us. If this conversation blessed you like I know it did me, Please share it with others who might benefit from Peter's words of wisdom and his experiences as a long-haul COVID sufferer. And please, please follow Peter on social media at Einstein of Wall Street, as he is very active on social media about things like the daily happenings on Wall Street and also his journey back to health. He's always positive and encouraging and engaging, and I'm so grateful to be his friend. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Boldly Go podcast. This is Missy Young signing off. Missy Young.